if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway. It's nine minutes. It's 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, the 21st morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. And you know what that means. It's Tuesday. It's Kersenau Day. Let's welcome Peter Kersenau back to our program. He, of course, is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's an attorney. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist for the National Review. And he is, of course, the host of the Kersenau Report here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning. Bob, how you doing? It looks like uh, Sunday the Browns may have learned, I hope they learned, they simply can't show up and the other team kind of runs away in, in, in fright. Uh, it took them at least a half to figure out they were playing in the NFL. Good thing that they won, didn't cover the spread, but uh, they came out really flat, especially on defense. It was kind of disappointing. Um, I'm hopeful when they play the Bears, they, they bring their A game. Yeah, well, um, you let me know if they do or not because I won't be watching it. Uh, I'm sticking to my guns on this, Pete. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to patronize the woke league. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give them my dollars or my ratings or anything else, uh, so that they can turn around and use it to harm and divide my country. And that's exactly what they do on a daily basis. So you let me know how that works out. Hey, Pete. I'll let you know. Pete, I, I, this is totally off topic. I was just kind of when I was promoting you at the top of the show and you know reminding everybody that you were coming on today. I mentioned your status as the longest-serving member of the, of the Civil Rights Commission ever, uh, that you were appointed by George W. Bush, and that you made it through both <laughs> Obama eras, or uh, excuse me, terms, rather, uh, through the Trump term, and now into the Biden term. And you've been doing this for 20 years, and you do it as a minority, and I don't mean racially, but I mean in terms of your, your ideology as a conservative Republican. And I've wondered... How frustrating has this been for 20 years to be on the short end of every vote, uh, to have to write a scathing, uh, you know, report on why you did what you did and challenging the majority and their rule on the Civil Rights Commission? I, I just wonder why, you know, why you do it and, and, and how hard it has been for you to do it. It's, you know, well, I mean, you're, you're, you're taking one for the team, you repeat, for 20 years. You're taking one for the team. Yeah, I think it's because I played football for so long and boxed and everything that I had too many concussions, so that may have something to do with it. But um, I think it's, it's very important. Um, 
The U.S. Commission on Civil Rights is not the most important agency, but as we've discussed before, a lot of the crazy ideas that the left comes up with, they, they have their inception at the Civil Rights Commission. I've, I've said on your program several times that if you want to know what the left is up to or what they plan for five to ten years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today. They try out all of their schemes at the Civil Rights Commission. I get a preview. It's almost, it's, it's eerie and unerring because... Um, Think about everything from critical race theory to transgender to everything. All these things were previewed at the Civil Rights Commission 10, 15 years ago, and I would try to warn people about it. And I think it's important that, um, you know, we have somebody at the Civil Rights Commission who can push back and also advise Congress and testify before Congress, as I do, as to what's coming up, what they're about to face, and also the remedies, the, the pushback that they should be employing. Now, Congress doesn't always do those things. But look, I believe that we've got to do whatever we can as citizens of the United States of America. And the other thing is that uh, you mentioned that I'm in the minority. And yeah, for the vast majority of my 20 years, uh, because of the statutory structure for appointments to the commission, I have been in the minority. But the good news is that uh, recently, the commission became a 4-4 conservative versus liberal split uh, oh. due to the ascendancy of uh, J. Christian Adams who um, President Trump appointed, and so we have a 4-4 split now, which means we can at least neutralize the, the loonier things that come out of the commission. Now, the commission is still chaired by a uh, progressive so that they control the agenda, but they don't control you know, what comes out of the commission in terms of you know, the, the type of topics, the type of hearings we've got. In addition, there was a short period of time during the Obama era where conservatives did have the majority, and we did some pretty good work. We came up with some decent reports, such as the effect of uh, legal immigration on black unemployment and uh, the New Black Panther Party report, New Black Panther voting intimidation report, and so on and so forth. So we had a lot of things, and it's also important um, because... I've been on the Civil Rights Commission, also the National Labor Relations Board and other things. But the Civil Rights Commission is such a broad charter. I mean, virtually everything that you address, every flashpoint in society today is something the Civil Rights Commission has addressed or is in the process of addressing. And um, as a result of that, I, you know, very often I'm testifying before Congress, various committees of Congress, on the implications of those things, everything from voting rights to critical race theory, you name it. And uh, I think that gives the legislators, not the, that their staff doesn't do a splendid job, but sometimes they're focused on what's in front of them right now. And we try to give them an idea as to what's coming down the pike and what the defenses they should be marshalling against the loonier aspects of the progressive agenda. So um, I think, you know, uh, there are real heroes in America doing the work of protecting the Constitution, protecting the United States of America. They, they're mainly in the military and law enforcement, uh, but they come in all kinds of uh, I try to contribute my little part by being kind of the Paul Revere of lunacy. You know, uh, I'm trying to tell people, here's what's coming down the pike. And um, one last thing, um, I have the pleasure, as you know, of speaking regularly to your, your, uh, your fans, your listeners, and um, letting them know how they can get involved, letting them know what pieces of legislation are coming up, what, what is percolating, for example, down at the State House, like right now our friend Lisa Woods and others, you know, are doing a great job fighting against critical race theory down there. But uh, it's important for the grassroots to get involved. And one of the things I try to do when I, when I speak and go all over the country and speak 
is to get people motivated and highlight for them precisely what it is they should be directing their attentions toward in my humble little way, because what I see the, the folks on the Civil Rights Commission doing on the left is very scary. Um, there, you can't um, overstate the radical direction in which the left is planning to take this country, planning, they're doing it right now before our eyes. It's truly extraordinary. So this is an important thing to do in my little way. In an, um, oh, by the way, one other thing I should mention, to speak, talking about speaking, our friends at Medina County, uh, Friends and Neighbors, McFan, I'll be speaking there Saturday for the 13th anniversary. So anybody who's listening, who I uh, uh, hope you come, and I've got some, uh, some things to say about a whole host of topics. I think we start, I usually start at about 9 o'clock, and as to Lisa's chagrin, I usually speak for two, three hours. Because <laughs> I've got a lot to say, I got a lot on my mind. So it's I know be, you I do. And, you cowboy. Do. and by the way, Pete, thank you for for that great explanation. And I, and I will just say this: while you acknowledge that your commission may not be the most important commission in D.C., you do an amazing job at what you do with it. You take it seriously, and you really do use it to the benefit of the people. And I really respect that, and we all appreciate that. So, well, uh, thanks thank so much, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Pete. Let's get to the issue at hand here. There's about 16,000, they say, uh, Haitian migrants, mostly Haitian migrants, who are underneath a bridge in the Del Rio sector along our southern border. This is 100% the responsibility of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They are crossing that border. They are being caught. Most of them are being transported and ready to be processed and put on an ice plane to be sent to another city in the United States. Uh, but they are, they do have to round them up and Border Patrol is doing it the very best way they can. Now, the latest complaint, there's, I want you to speak to all of this. So, so bear with me, Pete. In addition to the fact that there's, you know, 16,000 people under that bridge, in addition to the fact that we have had a new record high of border encounters every month of this calendar year, Jim Jordan is, is uh, famous for, for listing it, each and every month beats the record set the previous month. Given all of that, how and why should they be complaining about the method of transportation that our Border Patrol agents use to round these people up? Because that's what they're saying. If they were yeah, on a motorcycle, it would be okay. Mm-hmm. If they were in an ATV, it would be okay. If they were in a Jeep, it would be okay. But if they're on horseback, it looks like slave catchers rounding up black Haitians uh, with ropes and whips, which is literally what they are accusing Border Patrol agents of doing because they're trying to chase some of these people down on horseback. Pete, I, I thought we'd crossed the Rubicon a long time ago, and I, th- I think we just crossed another one. Yeah, we get nuttier and nuttier, and you know, the left gets their history from uh, TV shows and movies. They don't have the slightest understanding of anything about that, and so what they do is they try to seize on something like that to deflect from their gargantuan problem that they have intentionally created. This isn't simply neglect. This is part of of the progressive experiment. It is part of Biden policy to open up the borders and change the demography of this country. You and I talked about, have been talking about this for several years. I know Tucker has recently come up with this, you know, this uh, notion that the reason for the progressive uh, um, immigration policy is to change the electorate, and that's precisely right. It, what's this, it, only extraordinary is that more people haven't realized it over the last 15 years. The attempt here is to get as many immigrants into this country legally or illegally, but preferably illegally, because they think then by showering them with all manner of benefits that come uh, from the Democrats, these folks will vote for Democrats. And traditionally, Immigrants, at least in the first generation after arriving in this country, 
have generally voted Democrat. And they believe that by taking these folks and then putting them on planes and buses at our expense without telling us where they're going until they dump them off in purple states. They want to turn the purple states red. They want to turn the red states purple. This is a project to enshrine permanently democratic hegemony in the United States, political hegemony in the United States. That is what's going on. And too many Beltway Republicans are just so sanguine about it. I mean, they, they will mouth opposition to it. They will say certain things, but they don't understand the urgency of making sure this stops for a host of reasons. From their own political survival, you would think they'd be concerned if for no other reason with their political survival, and still they're not acting as hysterically as I maintain they should. But there's other reasons that you and I have, and I've talked about forever and ever and ever. I mean, I just mentioned the effect of illegal immigration on black unemployment. This is disastrous for low-income workers. It's going to displace them. It's going to lower their wages. It's, it's just horrible, and we've got the evidence of it over the last 20 years. But right now, the most immediate two things are things that present just clear and present dangers to the people of the United States of America. One is very clear, terrorism. We just endured the greatest humiliation in the history of the United States by abandoning the hotbed of terrorism, and we don't even know who's coming over here. We've imported a lot of them voluntarily through our own planes, and we haven't vetted them. On top of that, we know that the southern border is the primary entry point for everybody in this country, and if you've got not even sophisticated terrorists, any terrorist worth his while is going to be saying, that's where I'm coming across, so they're coming across. And then on top of that, after Biden issues what I consider to be an unlawful vaccine mandate, they don't impose the same kind of restrictions on illegal immigrants. They get treated like special people. Not only do they get free health care, free transportation, wherever they want to go, they don't have to show a vaccine card that you've got to show in many places, many woke places in in the United States of America. So they get preferential treatment. And then after that, the United States of America is paying. We are using our tax dollars that go to the Catholic Charities of the World and others, all these NGOs that are housing, feeding, clothing these illegal immigrants, which then encourages even more to come. And so they're getting free benefits. They're getting preferential treatment, and we don't even know who they are. On top of all that stuff, all these border cities, of course, are very concerned. And by the way, as you know, several uh, of the cities along the Rio Grande that are 70 to 80 percent Hispanic and voted overwhelmingly for uh, Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election in 2020 voted for Trump because they see what's happening. The, United, the, the Democrats want to cast this as a racial matter, that somehow if you're against illegal immigration, you're a racist. The opposite is true. The Hispanics down on the border are some of the most uh, vehement opponents to what's going on down there right now. Well, the... Um widely praised head, former head of the U.S. Border Patrol, Rodney Scott, who Joe Biden ran out earlier this year for no good reason whatsoever, uh, said this, low-level, unsophisticated, uneducated smugglers are illegally crossing the border and increasingly evading apprehension daily. To think that well-resourced terrorist networks, criminal organizations, and hostile nations are not, not doing the same is naive. 
He said that the U.S. is significantly downplaying the vulnerability that this creates for terrorists, narcotics smugglers, human traffickers, and even hostile nations to gain access to our homeland. Border Patrol is rapidly losing the situational awareness required to know who and what is entering our homeland. And Pete, as we take our break, the question I'm going to ask you on the other side is, is do you agree with Jim Jordan, who said this isn't because of incompetence. This is absolutely intentional. And I'll yep. get your response to that next on AM 1420 1026. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. Just, uh, I thank the gentleman. He's right on target. And I, I would just say, you know who else agrees with you and your constituents? At least he used to. Joe Biden. Right. December 2020. I don't think vaccines should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand it be mandatory. So deep down, even the president of the United States knows this isn't going to fly constitutionally. There's no way this is going to fly. All right. Apologies. That was not the correct clip. My apologies, uh, uh, Peter Kirsten. Now, what the, uh, I did want to play for you is Jim Jordan declaring that it is impossible for any reasonable, sensible person to look at this migrant crisis with each month bringing a new record high number of border encounters and crossings over the last month. And now with this Haitian crisis in the Del Rio sector, it's impossible to see this as being uh, an accident or incompetence leading to this incredible crush of humanity on our border. He said it's it's intentional. It is uh, exactly what the Biden administration wants to have happen. Uh, is he right, Peter Kirstenau? And why? Absolutely. If, that, if yeah. that is the case, why? Right. Jim Jordan is absolutely right. And what it was, as I said earlier, what really frustrates me, and I bet it frustrates your listeners because I talked to so many of them, is that they see it and they're wondering why aren't there 500 more Republicans at the national level in, in addition to Jim Jordan, who's very often the lone voice out there shouting in the wind. It, this is so abundantly plain and apparent. This is not mere negligence. This is intentional. And the reason they're doing it, as I said before, the, the major reason is to change the electorate. They want, this is a short term. It's not a long-term strategy. Believe me, it is not a long-term strategy. One of the reasons why they want to have amnesty in that $3.5 trillion monstrosity is so that immediately these folks can become Democrats. But they know eventually they will be Democrats. Eventually, there'll be some form of amnesty, or by hook or by crook, they will gain voting rights, as many of them do. Whether it happens next year or three years or five years from now, that's the project that is um, at the at the forefront of this illegal immigration debacle that we're seeing. So now, having said that, Pete, real quick, um, how big of a blow was it for them on Sunday evening when we learned that the Senate parliamentarian said you cannot provide amnesty slash pathway to citizenship for millions of illegal aliens in this country in the reconciliate the budget reconciliation bill, the $3.5 trillion Green New Deal starter kit that they were intending to use for that? I'm going to go back to what I said before. Republicans better get, as Clint Eastwood said, um, you know, he's my favorite American philosopher. Clint Eastwood said, you got to get plam, mad dog, mean. In other words, what they have to understand is that this is a temporary victory. This was a no-brainer that you can't do this because it had nothing to do with the budget. Right. But what, what Republicans fail to understand is Democrats view this as a war. And, and Republicans think this is some kind of Marquis de Queensberry rules that govern the way they, they engage in political discourse. This is flat-out punch, punching people flat in the mouth 
what, what the Republicans need to do and understand, I think some of them do, Jim Jordan clearly does, but so many of them act as if, you know, it's business as usual, that it, this is 2000, that this is your father's Democratic Party. It is not. It is hard left, and they're going to be coming back again and again and again. They can't rest on their loyals. They, they got laurels. They got a temporary reprieve from this parliamentarian, but what we have seen for decades now is the Democrats, when they get a slight setback, they figure out some other strategy and come back. After a, after a while, they either outwit you, wear you out, or it's just a matter of gaining the political leverage to do it. And that's what's going to happen next. I don't think that this is uh, the last time we see this maneuver. I think they'll try reconciliation again, maybe with changing language slightly, hoping that that satisfies the parliamentarian. But if not, believe me, their overriding effort here is to gain some form of amnesty, some form of legal rights for illegal aliens, because they want to have the political clout that comes with that. They know it's going to happen. It's going to happen in reapportionment. Um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen when you, you know, sign, for example, votes in the electoral college. It's going to have all kinds of ramifications that Democrats have been working on long-term strategy now for several decades, and Republicans have been doing business as usual type of pushback. They better understand they're playing a big-time vicious war, and they better put their game face on. Peter Kirsten out with us on AM 1420. The answer. He's right back with us after the news. isn't it this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer all right peter uh Kirstenau continues with us now at 10 37 one more segment with pete as we stay on the border and mr Kirstenau, um when you lose your water carriers you're doing it wrong somehow um, and MSDNC has been right there really kind of in lockstep, neck and neck, with CNN and doing every single thing, every uh, amount of bidding that the Democrat Party has needed them to do, um, which is why this matters a little bit more. Stephanie Rule talking with her panelists on how Kamala Harris, the vice president, is doing as the borders are. How about a message from our vice president? Where is she? She was supposed to be in charge of all of these migration issues, going to those northern triangle countries. That's obviously not Haiti. That was one of her first international trips with the message, do not come here illegally. People aren't listening. What is she saying now? Well, we haven't heard a lot from the vice president. Of course, you point out she was focused on those Northern Triangle countries. A lot of her work was in Guatemala, working with that government. A lot of the diplomacy, which is what the vice president was focused on, was with Mexico. And essentially what we're seeing now is a breakdown of that work with Mexico. Mexico, for a while, was stopping a lot of migration coming from Guatemala into Mexico, keeping people from ever even reaching the U.S. border. But now Mexico became so overwhelmed with this particular migrant surge that they were beyond capacity and we were seeing Mexico essentially give up in some cases just allow buses through their country to the US border which is how so many people got here so quickly 
Julia so, Moore. So the the bottom line here, Peter, is that the border czar isn't concerned about the border at all. She is essentially working for the State Department and going and engaging in diplomatic conversations with foreign governments, trying to tell them to tell their people not to leave. When those foreign governments, who in most cases, the countries we're talking about, the Northern Triangle countries of Central America, Haiti as well, they can't feed their people as it is, so they're glad they're leaving. It lessens the burden on themselves. They're not going to try to do anything to stop them. But that's not what a border czar does. A border czar is not supposed to be a state diplomat, State department diplomat. A border czar is supposed to be at the border, helping to strengthen the border, maybe finish that wall, maybe uh, uh, hire more border patrol agents, hire more uh, security forces so that we can actually do what we're supposed to do, and that is protect the sovereignty of this country, unless I'm just misunderstanding the title. No, you're exactly right, Bob. Two things to glean from what you just heard, which is everything you heard there is completely disingenuous because the MSNBCs, the CNNs, the New York Times, Washington Post, all these talking heads are fully on board with this dysfunctional immigration policy. What they're doing, though, is telegraphing to Democrats, and especially to the White House, that they're having a much more difficult time covering for them now because things are so wildly out of control. What they're trying to tell to the White House and to Democratic politicians is, guys, this is way too out of control. Do something, at least cosmetically, to give us cover so we can cover for you. It can't be this out of control. And they're telling them, look, there's alarm bells going off here because if you continue to do this, this flagrantly, you're going to lose the, not just the midterms, but you're going to lose in, in, well, three years now. And then there's a second component to it. I think they're also saying, now, this I'm less sure about, but I, I'm, I'm I've been around long enough to see how these things work. I think what they're saying is I think there's a considerable amount of unease, not just within the media, but in higher-level financial circles for the Democratic Party, that is, big-time Democratic funders, that, number one, Biden clearly is not going to run again in three years. That's not going to happen. And the real question is, does he make it much past the midterm elections? And if that happens, that means Kamala Harris is the standard bearer. And what they're trying to telegraph is Kamala Harris is a disaster in the making. Her approval ratings are horrendous, her personal approval ratings in terms of whether or not she comes across as somebody who is, you know, kind of a, uh, a, a person people can get behind. You know, people dislike her viscerally, and they're saying to the Democratic Party, they're letting them know, we can't carry the water for you, either on your policies on the border, because they're so out of control, rein them in, and also, you've got to do something about who the 2024 nominee is going to be. Think hard about that, because right now, this looks like a disaster. It's spiraling out of control. We can't cover for you guys anymore. So I don't believe all this sudden concern about what's going on on the border. This has been going on now for eight months. We're going to set a record for the number of legal immigrants coming across the border. I think some of the smarter media folks, and that is, you know, heck, all you got to do is be able to spell cat. After the, you spot him, the C and the A, of course, as Hollywood Henderson used to say of Terry Bradshaw. But I think they're saying that there's a considerable peril here because we see all the drugs coming across, billions of dollars of drugs, all the criminals coming across. And just as we've discussed before, they have to surmise that if drugs and criminals and all kinds of folks are coming across the board, if two million people come across, and if only one percent are terrorists, that's 20 
thousand terrorists. And believe me, the terrorists are pretty well funded. They will think of ways of getting in here, blending in, and at some point they're going to coordinate and there's going to be something bad happening. I'm hope I'm hopeful well, I am you know, really Pete, hopeful that I'm wrong. Pete, I'll 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 go, you know, a little bit further than that. If one tenth of one percent of them are terrorists, that's two thousand. And I asked you this question last week. How many did it take to cause nine eleven? Right. Nineteen right, exactly. hijackers. So put two thousand terrorists who could do Lord knows what kind of damage here. As you said, that's one tenth of one percent of of that number. So uh, that's exactly right. I want to pivot to elections for a second because of two things that you just said. You know, you talked about the twenty twenty two midterms, um, and then you mentioned you know the candidate uh, that the Democrats are going to have to look for in twenty twenty four. I want to hit both those things. Let's start with twenty twenty two. I asked Jim Jordan when he was in the studio last Wednesday. Uh, about this. You know, I think there have been around a dozen states. Many of them are crucial states. Um, you know, where there were election irregularities and too much mail-in voting and too many voter rolls not cleaned up. You had people who are dead or no longer living in that particular state still getting ballots sent to their old addresses. And then Lord knows who's filling them out and sending them in. So at least a dozen states have passed new voter integrity laws, the last of which was Texas after the, um, uh, Texas Democrats fled and went to uh, D.C. for a couple of months. Um, at any rate, my question is, Is do you feel or do you believe or do you have faith that that will be enough for us to have free and fair elections in 2022 as we look to overtake the House? I think we're, what, four or five down now, uh, and obviously at a 50-50 tie in the Senate. Do you believe that the elections in 2022 will be fair? I... Bob, I have to say, I don't want to sound like I've got a tinfoil hat on, but no, no, not at all. And I take that from somebody, look, one of our principal charges on the Civil Rights Commission is voting rights. We've been looking at this stuff for such a long time, and I constantly have to remind people when they keep saying, well, there's really no such thing as voter fraud. I say, you guys don't have the data. You guys aren't looking at what I'm looking at. And the guy who knows it best is my colleague, who I just mentioned a few minutes ago, Jay Christian Adams, who's the new appointee to the Civil Rights Commission, having been appointed uh, a while back by President Trump in the assumed office. Uh, and he just assumed his, his, his office. J. Christian Adams has been a Justice Department voting section attorney for a long time. He then went on to become, um, you know, he, he does a lot of election litigation on his own, privately with his own um, uh, uh, firm. And he tells me things that, you know, if I didn't shave my head, would make my hair stand on end. We are not there yet. We are not even close to being there where we can be assured of election integrity. I can't believe I'm saying this. In the United States of America in 2021, I wish I could say that, you know, I think that elections are going to be above board, but I can't be sure of it. And that's a real problem when you can't be sure of it even. You know, it's one thing to say that, well, you know, um, uh, there may be some problems with the election, but when you can't be sure of whether or not the outcome of election is going to be free and fair and honest, I, it, it, you, you can't operate a representative democracy on that basis. Now, um, I'm hopeful, but hope is not enough. But I do know this, that based on the polling data that we're seeing coming out, and it is horrendous for Democrats, make no mistake about it. They may try to put a, you know, put lipstick on a pig, but right now they're looking at blowouts similar to the 1994 takeover of Congress by the Republicans for the first time in 40 years and the 2010 blowout that, that Obama suffered after Obamacare was passed. I mean, that was, the, you know, the biggest of like 50 years. Yeah. They're looking at something of that magnitude. And given the narrow margins right now, if Democrats lose just a few seats in the House, 
Republicans uh, take over. They only have a one seat margin, uh, you know, only one seat to give up in the Senate, and then they lose control of the Senate, and then nothing gets passed. Right now, it, it already looks like, despite the fact that they do have narrow uh, majorities in both houses, that their major legislative achievements are stalled. That's how bad it is. Because their major leg- legislative achievements are nuts. They're going to destroy the United States of America. We're looking at so many major issues. We were assured that once we got rid of Trump, everything would be better. And everything has gotten demonstrably worse, not by a small amount, but by significant magnitudes. No question. No question. I ran through that litany of, of, of accomplishments of President Trump and where we were when he handed over power on January 20th to Joe Biden. This is at the Goldstein event that you spoke at earlier. Uh, and uh, after you were gone, I kind of ran through all of those. And demonstrably is the, is the operative word there. They're not a little bit better, or a little bit worse, rather. They are extraordinarily worse. It's, it's, it's impossible to comprehend how many things that were handed to Joe Biden on a silver platter. All you got to do is keep going and don't mess this up. And he reversed policy on all of it and made all of it worse. Now, having said all of that, Pete, I want to be, because we only have about three minutes left. I want to go to 2024. You mentioned Kamala. You talked about how utterly unlikable she is, about how she is essentially toxic. There is no way that there, that Joe Biden is going to be able to run for another term. There's, that's clear. He can barely, you know, uh, remember where he is now. There's no way they're going to sell him three years older than he is right now as being capable of running that office. Um, so, you know, the, the natural turn is to the vice president. She's just, she, she's, she's hated by Democrats for crying out loud. I keep pointing this out. When she ran and she announced her candidacy, um, two summers ago, you know, everybody's like, oh, Senator Kamala Harris is in. This is going to be huge. She pulled it under 2% before dropping her campaign in early December of 2019, for crying out loud. She never even got to the calendar year of the election. That's how hated she was by Democrats. So skip over her. And mm-hmm. Pete, where does your mind go? Where I mean, yeah, it, who, yeah. who's out there for the Democrats? Here's the problem for the Democrats. You really hit something very good, Bob, that I've been talking about for a while, and that is that the Democrats don't have a bench. They have not been uh, grooming anybody to be at that level. They really don't have anybody except for a couple people. And this may sound strange to your listeners because, you know, they're sane, but um, I think that one of the principal people to look at is Pete Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary right now. I think there's a lot of momentum behind him in the Demo- in Democratic circles from what I hear. But why? Um, and- but why, Pete? Because I'll answer it. I'll say it. It's not because of his, anything he's done. It's not because of his wisdom or experience or great ideas. It's because they believe in identity politics. First gay yeah. guy. we got to break that ceiling like we did with the black first black president. First, you know, uh, black female vice president. And on down the line we go. we got to, we got to, we got to you know, appeal to the to the identity politics here. That's the only reason he would possibly be a candidate, in my view. Yeah, I think that's that. There's, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I'll give Pete Buttigieg the benefit of the doubt. Uh, among a horrible uh, crew of potential nominees, he's at least somebody who can put a couple strings. You know, he can string a couple words together. That's true. He's not a dummy. Okay, you you no. may disagree with his policies. Uh, you may disagree with just about everything about Pete Buttigieg, but he is. You know, he makes a good presentation. He sounds moderate when he speaks. He's a relatively personable person when he's not, you know, constantly ramming home the fact that, you know, you should view him as based on, uh, on his identity politics. But um, he may but they, be the they are ramming that home, though, Pete. He, uh, of course, because that's that all they've way. got. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he and, he, he and his, uh, I don't even know what the guy's name is, uh, that's his partner, uh, just adopted a child, and they did a photo op laying together in a hospital bed holding the child as if one of them had just given birth, because that's the new movement. According to the trans movement, men can give birth to babies now. Now, they adopted a child, but they, why would you be in a hospital bed? Neither one of you are in, in, in the hospital. Neither one of you delivered the child. Why are you there? They are going to jam that LGBTQ agenda down our throats if it is Pete Buttigieg that they have in mind. It will have nothing to do with his presentation, nothing to do with his experience or his accomplishments in any office he's ever held. Mayor Pete, Secretary Pete is going to be gay Pete, and that's it. This is the corner that the left has painted themselves into. Their ideas stink. They're rotten. And they're being implemented right now, and we can see it now. They can't hide from it. And even their, their sycophants in the media can't protect them from it because it's so bad, so bad. So they resort back to identity politics, which now is achieving monumental dis favor among the populace. People are sick of it. Critical race theory, I think, was was the straw that broke the camel's back. People are sick of this stuff, but that's all they've painted themselves into this corner that they, all they have is first female, you know, black female vice president, first this, first that. That's all they have. And then when these individuals are elected only based on who they are and what they are, not what their programs are, we see their programs are horrendous and people recoil from that. There is there are a couple polls out, not just one, but two that show that Biden voters are experiencing a lot of buyer's remorse. In fact, a significant percentage of them, 27% in one poll, 27% more than enough to cause, to cause a landslide reversal in the election. 27% now wish they had voted for Trump. And I'm wondering why it's not 100%, frankly, but 27% yeah. now regret their vote. And another poll was similar to that. I don't remember. It was like 24%. Um, but... Everyone understands the reversal of the last eight months has been so significant and profound when we had the lowest unemployment. Even in the context of COVID, the United States wasn't doing that bad in the context of the greatest pandemic. Yeah, but there's no mean tweets now. Remember, there's no mean tweets and the adults are in the room. The adults are in the room now. So that's that's, the fact that I have to pay pay 200 to $400 more at the pump per year, that's, that's worth not having to face a mean tweet every now and then. This is horrendous. People get it, I think. And right now, there's also a poll I saw that came out. That I, I didn't really delve into it. That shows that uh, right now, Trump would win a 2024 election in a landslide. So I don't know if it's going to be Trump in 2024. Maybe it'll be DeSantis. But the disfavor that Democrats are held in right now by a majority of the population is something that makes them very, very, very nervous. That's why they better hope they can regularize these illegal aliens as fast as possible and that we have, you know, kind of fuzzy elections, too. Well, I'll tell you what, man, it's going to be something to see, especially, you know, you're just talking about trying to find a bench on the Democrat side, on our side. I'm worried about how deep it is because, you know, I love Mike yeah. Pompeo and he's going to run. Yep, I do and too. I like yep, Tom Cotton. Absolutely. And Tom, Com- Tom Cotton's going to run. And I like Tim Scott and Tim Scott's going to run. And Ron DeSantis, I love him. He's going to run. This is going to be very, very difficult, uh, I think, even for diehard Trump supporters to say, man, yeah, how but do you. It's a, it's, it's, <laughs> I think it's great, Bob. I think it's great that Republicans have such a deep bench. And these are, to a large extent, very good and principled individuals. I don't know them all personally. I've dealt with a few of them. I'm, you know, I'm a member of the Civil Rights Commission and stuff, but I think we're blessed to have 
this cadre of potential candidates. Yeah. I'd much, much rather be in our position than the Democrats. <laughs> no question about it. Peter Kirsten, now the question is, is when you're going to run. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, Bob. Bye-bye. Let's uh, get our final time out. Come right back on AM 1420 News. All right, 1057. Wow. Great stuff from Peter Kersenow, as always. I was only half kidding when I said, when are you going to run? What a fantastic candidate he would make. He's uh, on a debate stage. Holy cow. He would have the likes of Kamala Harris crying and saying, please, no more. Stop. You're bludgeoning me with facts and common sense. Oh, oh my God, it would be so hilarious. Uh, let me get a call or two in here before we're done. Charlie in Westlake. Thanks for uh, waiting, Charlie. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Great gotcha. show. Hey, uh, I'm giving Kamala Harris credit. She figured out the root cause. It's American greatness, and all we have to do is get rid of American greatness, and the people will stop coming. So we've got to give her credit. She figured it out. Destroy America, and they'll stop coming. That's kind of funny, no, kind except of, except the, except the vicious kind of circle that she's in and that you're describing here is part of destroying American greatness is bringing in millions of illegal aliens who destroy our economic system, who destroy our resources and our schools. Oh, uh, like, who, like Peter said, it's very intentional what they're doing on the southern border. I believe Afghanistan was very intentional. Now this news twist with the Haitians, they're not even from Haiti. They've been living for five, ten years. In South America, and you know, they all—they all have cell phones. We have got it. They, they all just communicate with each other and rush up all in one day. It's ridiculous. The world got too small. We've got to put a wall—a wall up. Stop this. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, thank you, Charlie, for the phone call. Um, you know, and by the way, I'm glad you brought up Afghanistan because I just did an entire show and I forgot to remind you that Americans are still being held hostage in Afghanistan. No one is covering it. No one is talking about it. There's still American hostages hiding from the Taliban, hoping to go unnoticed so that they don't get, well, treated the way Americans do by the Taliban, a terrorist organization. And that, my friends, is 100% the responsibility of Joe Biden. We'll see you tomorrow.